0: Devotion for the Dying. Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter. Continuing Chapter 1. This work of praying for dying sinners is for us all. None can excuse himself from it. None can say he cannot do it. One might say that for many reasons he could not speak of religion to his friends. Either he was afraid of offending them, or he was afraid of losing his temper in arguing. Our duties, likewise, might prevent us from our giving instruction. This may all be true. But with the work pointed out here, the work of saving souls at their last by our fervent prayer, by our offering patiently our trials, by placing ourselves, as it were, at the portals of the Church to allow no soul to go forth for whom we have not prayed, by pleading by all that is most holy and most efficacious, by realizing their terrible need and inflaming our hearts with love for those souls and pity for their terrible danger. This we can all do. And if we really excite our souls to realize their sad state, we shall find innumerable means of succoring them, of endeavoring to prevent their leaving this life at enmity with God. We shall touch their souls with the precious blood. We shall work miracles, Yes, indeed, the miracle of grace. God so loves to work the conversion of the sinful soul, to transform the prey of the devil into a beautiful soul and the temple of the Holy Ghost, the precious fruit of the passion of Jesus. I ask you then to read these pages in a prayerful spirit, that you may derive profit from them and may desire to do this work. You must see that if you do not love souls, you are not like Jesus, and yet you desire to be like Him. Therefore, you must do as people who have no appetite. Try to create one, that your heart may be touched by what you read, and that you may earnestly set about the work here advised, that it may inflame you with a desire of commencing at once what will render you so beloved by Jesus, what will fill you with a constant holy joy, what will render you especially dear to Mary, what will make you a savior and mother of innumerable souls. Whatever occupation you are engaged in, this can become part of it, and the charity which will grow more and more in your heart will fill it with peace, and a hitherto unknown happiness will so possess you that you will wonder from whence it is. But the prayers of those who are ready to perish souls safe in peace in purgatory, are raised to beg God to bless their benefactor. And God is only too glad to shower graces upon one who is imitating his beloved sons so nearly, who is contributing to his glory, who is doing his will on earth as the blessed do in heaven. Chapter 2 How the tender mother of pity and compassion sorrowed on earth over sinners, How she now in heaven longs for us to cooperate with her in saving them. See from her apparition at Lourdes how she longs to save sinners. I copy from the authentic account given of the vision. The look of the Holy Virgin appeared in an instant to travel over the whole earth, and she directed it, all filled with sorrow, towards Bernadette, who was on her knees. What is the matter? "'What must I do?' said the child to herself. "'Pray for sinners,' replied the mother of the human race. On beholding sorrow thus veiling like a cloud the everlasting serenity of the Blessed Virgin, the heart of the poor shepherdess all at once experienced a cruel suffering, and an unutterable sadness spread itself over her features. From her eyes, continually quite open and fixed on the apparition, two tears rolled down her cheek and stopped there without falling. That beloved child of Mary was happy in the union with her mother which made her suffer when she saw that mother suffering. We too, if we loved Mary more, would suffer as we see the human race of which she is mother so steeped in sin, so easily led from Jesus, so deceived by Satan. Mary is looking upon the world, longing to save sinners. She watches the onward course in sin of each single soul. She hears the gentle voice of Jesus pleading with it, and the clamorous sounds made by the tempter to drown that voice. She sees the enemy approach nearer. She sees that soul permit itself to be blindfolded, and thus become an easy prey. But does Jesus cast that soul off there and then? Does he not seek to enter again into the heart that once was his own? He does. But to what can we compare the efforts made by our Lord to enter into the hearts of his creatures? I am a worm and no man, the despised and most abject of men, he says. And again, we have esteemed him as a leper, and as one struck by God. There was no comeliness in him that we should be desirous of him. Have you ever seen an outcast homeless animal stricken with some complaint, driven piteously from door to door, receiving a kick from one, a stone from another? Have you noticed the piteous look in the poor creature's face as it wanders about seeking for shelter and finding none? If so, That poor stricken thing may remind you of him who was as one struck by God, who was wounded for our iniquities, who was bruised for our sins. Jesus, who was driven hither and thither in his passion, who was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and who as a sheep before his shearers, opened not his mouth. What was done to Jesus in his passion is a figure of the treatment he receives in all ages people will not give him entrance to their hearts, or they take him in for a time and then send him forth. And the thought of those who would do that, the thought of the sin of Judas, was a far greater suffering to him than when his sorrowful heart cried out on the hilltop near Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children to my breast as a hen doth gather her brood under her wing, and thou wouldst not. But we will, sweet Lord. We will come and nestle in the resting place Thou hast provided for us, Thy own most sacred loving heart. We have heard Thy cry. I looked for one to grieve with me, and there was no one, and for one that would comfort me, and there was none. We will remain and be warmed in this furnace of divine love, and we will take from therein sparks of divine love, wherewith to kindle the flame thou so desirous should be enkindled, the love of souls, thy love, the love of thy heart. For he that loveth not his brother whom he seeth, how can he love God whom he seeth not? If your brother were dying, would you leave him alone, untended and uncared for? All mankind are your brethren the souls that are in this moment in their final agony, the souls that before this day is ended must appear before the dread tribunal of divine justice, are your brethren. Jesus died for them. Jesus died for all, be they who they may. No matter to what clime or tribe of people they belong, our Lord shed His blood for them and has put into your hands His body, blood, passion, death, all the actions of His most holy life. He has given you infinite treasures that you may use them for the good of souls. And you leave those treasures untouched that should be used for the intention of the sacred heart, to infiltrate a last grace, to satisfy divine justice, and to bring down the mercy that God so desires to bestow on the dying sinner. It is the wish of our dear Lord's heart. Ye who love that heart, ye who have banded yourselves and daily watch in turn to show your love and your desire to make reparation for the outrages it receives, forget not the souls who are dying, who, if a grace is not given to them, may be torn forever from the heart that beat and bled for them. Our Lord's desire that we should pray for one another is shown most plainly in the revelations made to the saints. To St. Matilda it was said, if anyone out of pure love of God prays for another person as though he were praying for himself, his prayer shall enlighten the heavenly Jerusalem like the morning sun. To St. Gertrude it was revealed that however small the good work might be that was done for the glory of God, if but one our Father is said for the welfare of the church, the Son of God receives that work with ineffable delight as the fruit of his passion, gives thanks to God for it, "'blesses it, and in blessing multiplies it. "'Who would not wish to increase the fruit of our dear Lord's passion? "'Who would not wish to save an immortal soul "'from the eternal misery of the loss of God? "'To what can we compare this fearful loss? "'To many has occurred the comparison of the needle and the magnet, "'and it is a true comparison, "'for the disembodied soul must tend to its center.' It must seek to rest in God. But the lost souls are condemned never to rest. They are kept back from the eternal repose for which they were created, the peaceful rest in the bosom of their Heavenly Father. They are kept back from the blissful vision of the Most High, Most Holy God. Instead of the ravishing harmony of angelic song, horrible sounds on all sides greet their ears. Instead of the beatific vision, they have the perpetual vision of hell with all its fearful sights and horrors. Most horrible is the thought of the poor lost soul kept by the iron hand of God's justice from ever possessing what it must ever want, himself. We cannot enter into that misery unless, God forbid, we experience it. A homely comparison may give us some faint idea of it. Suppose some animal were chained up and food placed just beyond its reach. Imagine, if you can, the raging efforts of this starving creature to reach this food for which its whole being craves. It is but a poor comparison and falls far short of any approach to the reality of the misery of a condemned soul. This has been taken from Devotion for the Dying by Venerable Mother Mary Potter. Published by Tan Books. Call one 437 5876 or on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain.